the idea that like the NFL can't be bought and sold is pretty bull. It's all about like who can convince the right players to come play at their team and keep them all under the same roof and keep them happy. Like that is the long and short of the NFL. It's not strategy anymore. It's not tactics. It's not players having emotion, individual performances that bring a team higher. It's like the talent gap of the elite is so insanely high from the average NFL player now that I kind of believe that's all that matters. Yeah, but the Chiefs especially, and, you know, outside of, like, two, I guess, big exceptions, both the Bucks and the Chiefs built their teams through the draft with players that, you know, have played on that team their whole career. The Bucks sure. were just a quarterback away, and Tom Brady is about as good as you can get from a free agent quarterback. So he's, he's not, Do like, you- the reason the sole reason they're as good as they are, but he's no slouch. He's not like Peyton Manning on the Broncos where he's basically just there to knock it up. Like he, he does some things for them. So. Yeah, I think so too. But do you honestly think that if you put, I think he does more than some things though. Like I think if you put almost any other quarterback on that team, they're good, but they're not in this Super Bowl. The quarterbacks make the difference in the playoffs, right? Yes, that's that's I think and I think that's also part of the reason I'm over Drew and so ready for the next thing is like he's old enough to have lost the clutch factor. He can't put a team on his back anymore. And yet that's what you've seen Tampa do in every single game this postseason is just hop on Tom Brady's back for a piggyback ride. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the way this system works. This is exactly how soccer works. Right. But I think, like, what tires me out is thinking that it's different. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, 22 players, you know, are on the starting lineup of any given team. You only really need two of them to be excellent to win. Right. Exactly. <sighs> well, that was the coldest of opens. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Justin, why don't you give us a little show preview to also tell your co-host what the blocks are today? All right. The semester has started and Nick doesn't have time to look things up anymore. (laughs) Block one is uh, Nebraska, just because we're not playing football right now doesn't mean we can't still have glaring problems. And (laughs) Love that. Love that for us. Good block. Nebraska football. It's got glaring problems. Yes, it does. Although and, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate today and say that things are not that bad. I'd like to disclaim that that's like, my job. Oh really? Oh then maybe we're both I'm just saying that's that's where I'm at. It's like okay, yeah, this sucks, but I'm not freaking out as hard. Justin, for those who have been living under rocks, why don't we why don't we let let folks know what happened? As is the case with all very cool and normal football programs, the team's most dynamic offensive playmaker transferred for the second straight season. Um, Wandale Robinson, a.k.a. the guy who we give the ball to and hope something good happens for 95% of the offensive plays, has decided to put his name in the transfer portal and go to Kentucky, the team that we stole him away from in his recruitment. The fun doesn't really end there, however, because 
Luke McCaffrey, the backup quarterback and former wonder boy of Husker fans until they actually saw him play for more than one game, has also decided to transfer along with team captain Cade Warner. So the guy who was chosen as a team captain, not because he had proven anything on the field yet, but because he was such a believer in Scott Frost's culture and where this program was going, has decided <laughs> that this is no longer for him and has left. The defense is retaining almost everybody, so that's kind of a little fun image there is that nine out of the 11 starters of last year's defense are going to be coming back. Colin Miller, obviously through injury, cannot play again. And DiCaprio Boodle has declared for the NFL draft along with Diedrich Mills on offense and Brendan Hymas on the offensive line. So in a, well, in a year before we're we get- leaving because of graduation, we're still having a lot of exits to the program. There's lots of freaking out about McCaffrey, right? But, yes. But like, well, what is our wide re- or what is our um, running back depth look like without Wandale and Decap? Wandale and Diedrich. Um, Diedrich. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> right now, it all the I guess the the hope is that Marquis Step, uh, the transfer from USC who left USC because they didn't really run the ball. They want to move to more of a, you know, Oregon, Texas Tech type offense. So, Right. West Coast team's going to West Coast offense. Yes. So he's coming here, a four-star recruit who did solid against the teams USC played, is hopefully going to pick up right where Diedrich left off and be the every down back. Nice. Okay, that was my biggest concern. And then from I feel like we struggled to find solid every down backs, and Diedrich was one of them. And and honestly, like yeah, I, I'm most broken up about Wandale, but then it's Diedrich declaring. That was like predictable. Yeah, he's 24. He's already transferred once, and if you know anything about the shelf life of running backs in the NFL, 24 is the new 34. So yeah, his window. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't do you think he'll get drafted? I think he'll get a shot at the undrafted free agent. That's kind of is like but that it's if he ever wants to try to play professionally, this is all he can do. Yeah, and like at this point, what he's given this team, especially the fact that I feel like the fans glommed on to Wandale, even though I think and, like, yeah, he, he's probably a more talented athlete at the end of the day. But what Diedrich does is really special, and I'm, I'm going to miss watching him because I, I enjoyed him as our just, like, daily driver running back. Absolutely. And so I hope he gets a big – I mean, I don't know how big, but, you know, in NFL terms, it's going to be small. In, uh, in real terms, it's going to be massive. But I hope he gets an NFL-sized payday. Yes, same here. He he was the rare transfer coming into the program who lived up to the hype. Exactly. <laughs> um. So then, so we've got this. What's this transfer's name from USC? I'm sorry, I know I've read about him, but Marquis Marquis Step. Which for every headline writer in the state, I hope he succeeds. <sighs> Actually, like, wouldn't it be better if he fails? 
a Nebraska big step takes a fast down. Step. Yeah, a step backwards. <laughs> there's there's so many options here. Also, like his first game is is gonna be fun. First steps. First steps. Uh, he needs to arm wrestle Adrian for the number so he can be two step. Um. <laughs> One small step for man, one giant leap for the program. <laughs> Should be writing these down. I know, right? <laughs> Omaha World Herald, call this kid. Call Justin. If he works out, trust me, I'll have a new headline every week, regardless of <laughs> if he's the reason or not. Step to the getting beat. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. I'm so sorry. I'd like to apologize to my family. <laughs> All right. So, uh, terrible puns aside, we're cautiously optimistic about Step? Yes, I'd, I'd say so. You never really know with transfers, but on paper, where all football games are played, uh, he should be <laughs> pretty much another Diedrich. So, what, what, what are the odds that Scott uses him right, though? That's honestly my biggest concern. Well, I think, unlike some other players who have come into this program, I think his role is going to be very defined as he's leaving USC because they don't want an every down back, and Nebraska mm-hmm. brought him in because they're looking for an every down back. So if he, oh. for some reason, is doing anything other than the exact role Dedrick Mills had, something is really off. okay that's a good barometer moving forward of like things justin will be pissed about folks write that one down we're telling people to write a lot of things down they should if you don't come to this podcast with a notepad in hand i can't help you take us seriously there will be a quiz at the end of this show just gauge what you've learned (laughs) that would require me to remember what i'm saying like half an hour from now Which is just uh, like five minutes from now. No, and, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's all gone. That's <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right, this solidifies Adrian as the only quarterback option, other than well, okay, isn't there Frosh? Yeah, there's a good old Henrik Harburg of some school oh, of in Nebraska. Oh, Catholic fame. What? Hell yeah, of Carney Catholic fame, right? Oh yeah, uh, where uh, Matt Masker is. The, yes. Got that pipeline going. Henrik Harburg, a Kearney Catholic, is yeah. potentially well, going to see playing time. <laughs> you know what they say about 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 that? Carney Catholic kids wins win natties. <laughs> well, we've had one for the past class, four years. <laughs> they must be class C. I'd possibly lower. They, I bet you they're at least Class C. I don't remember Pius playing them, and I don't remember seeing them anywhere in Class A. They can't be. Carney Catholic, Class A? Yeah, There's no. no way. They've got to be Class C or lower. Do we still have C1 and C2? I don't know. <laughs> Let's look it up. Don't you, like, dude, you're a high school prep reporter. Stern. Only on Class A and B, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're not watching a whole lot of, like, BDS Donovan games? No, I, I haven't caught up on my Exeter Milligan or 
I think that's a school. <laughs> oh, in certain activities, there is a class C1 and C2. Is football one of those activities? I don't know. This is, I'm on Wikipedia, so uh, <laughs> hoping to find anything. Class A is dropping a team. Oh, Elkhorn moved to Class B due to enrollment. It is uh, divided according to nfhsnetwork.com. Yes. It's, they are Class we, C1, Carney Catholic. And w- would you like to hear? Oh, okay. Okay. Oh my God. One, two, three, four, five, six, six schools switched from 11 man to eight man football as they dropped into D1. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> Nebraska should do that. <laughs> Nebraska should drop to eight-man football. Yeah, uh, that fits our personnel a lot better. (laughs) I have heard... So they've talked about getting together like a national eight-man championship. Yeah. And I've heard that like other other states don't play eight-man. So we would just crown a Nebraska school every year. As it should be? It would just be like us or a South Dakota team. Yeah, I'm sure uh, Kansas probably has something too. I would... I don't know. Because, like, Nebraska is so slow to consolidate schools compared to other places. Let's let's take a look at Wikipedia. Oh, wow. There's... um, There's actually in quite a few states have a eight-mans. Really? Ne- Nebraska is first. Kansas is second in terms of eight-mans. Third is California. 108 eight-man football teams. We have 113 eight-man teams? Yeah. South Dakota, your other example, has a whopping zero. (laughs) Texas has 234 six-man teams. Wyoming has 13. New Mexico has 11. Nebraska has 25. Montana has 37. Kansas has 13. Illinois has one. Idaho has two. Florida has 32. Colorado has 30. Alaska has eight. And Alabama has eight. The rest of the states do not have six-man football teams. Washington, D.C. has one. (laughs) One six-man football team? Eight-man. Oh, New Hampshire has one eight-man team. Yeah. How do they even play? (laughs) That's what I'm wondering. Because, okay, D.C., I guess... Minnesota... That's not not close to any of these other one-team states. This is fascinating. Minnesota... South Dakota and North Dakota all play nine-man football. <laughs> oh, states with limited eight-man teams may be affiliated with out-of-state leagues. So, also, did you see the the wash the Bruins Caps game? I did not. So like, there's get- like the Bruins go down three-two, and then there's just an absolute Donnybrook. <laughs> Like, these two guys just totally rip each other apart. And then Boston scores two goals in the last ten minutes of the third. Actually, I'm sorry, in the last seven minutes of the third period. Wait, no, they score three goals in that time. It's a good day to be a Bruins fan. 
And we have to go play the Flyers this week. So it'd be rad if we were like in form. Oh, I'm sorry. They scored five unanswered goals. Oh my God. The Bruins went down 3-0. Oh my God, it's a beautiful day. I, I didn't get that game televised to us because, you know, regional restrictions. So I was watching, um, what was I watching? I was watching Rangers Penguins. I'm on a big hockey kick. It feels like a good pandemic sport. I don't miss the fans that much because I'm not used to it without them. Yeah. I mean, I'm not used to it with them. So, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I've actually popped in on hockey from time to time, which is something I normally reserve for playoffs. Not that I know who's good or who's bad, but, like, if a game is on, like, I might keep it in my rotation along with whatever basketball's going on that night, you know? Like, let's see if let's see if uh, the Buffalo Sabres can reclaim their city's honor versus the Islanders tomorrow night. <laughs> That'd be fun. Craig Smith had a hat trick for Boston. I he also has very few teeth. I think I need to buy his jersey. Craig Smith. What and, a what a what a bland white boy name. That's that's the third person I've heard named Craig Smith, and uh, it's it's the first white guy. So. Oh really? Yeah, one used no, to. No, his for... name sounds like a bowl of oatmeal, <laughs> with nothing in it but oatmeal. Timberwolves. Oh, here's that fight. Here's that fight. They're showing it on, on M- <laughs> NBCSN right now. Oh, NBCSN. Guy... That's that's gonna cease to exist at the end of this year. Yeah, but like I vastly prefer Peacock anyway. Oh, funny story about Peacock. Uh. <laughs> We got way off the off the reservation on this one, boy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, tell me about Peacock. So, um, my family's a big fan of the TV show Psych. The show has officially ended, but they still come out with, like, these made-for-TV movies from time to time. Well, right. the second of the movies was, you know, it's a Peacock exclusive. So, my mom tries to download uh, Peacock for the Roku and ends up downloading a Peacock screensaver. So... What? Yes, a screensaver, which is literally just a slideshow of different pictures of peacocks. Yes. I love that this exists. And then when my friends are like, hey, the, the game's on peacock, I'll be like, oh, perfect. Let me pull that up quick. And it's just birds. It's just birds. Well, I love that. And Sykes a good show. And those dumb made-for-TV movies are dumb, but kind of entertaining. I, I've, I've totally derailed this conversation. So, yes scary uh, let's go through why it's real scary it's scary to be losing a lot of quote-unquote leadership um it's scary to be losing a bunch of guys who are bought into the culture right yeah it's it's scary to be losing a lot of just raw athletic talent especially in McCaffrey because we just weren't finding a use for it um yeah. Now, granted, sounds like the conversation around McCaffrey leaving was he wants to play quarterback. Scott sees him as not a true quarterback. Well, according to uh, the little Journal Star investigations, that I tried to, I don't know what word I was going for there, but according to uh, Parker Gabriel, uh, the coaching <laughs> staff was 100% on board with keeping Luke at QB, if, that's what, if that meant keeping him in the program. And he's still this. Well, I mean, listen, he's got to be frustrated. Think about where this kid is. 
he probably feels that he could do a better job than Adrian. Let's set aside for a minute whether or not that's true. Okay. Let's just say that this is what he feels, right? He's also got thousands upon thousands of people screaming for his name every time Adrian so much as stumbles, right? Yes. He's what? He was a red shirt freshman, and this was his first year of playing football. Like, first full season? Yes. But it's a COVID season, so he's taking along four years of eligibility to wherever he goes. If he's going to transfer, now is a good time. And a little subtle detail. uh, During the Rutgers game, McCaffrey was listed as third on the depth chart behind Logan Smothers and Adrian Martinez. And Smothers was not in uniform for the game, so. Yep. So the well, writing was, might have been was the wall. Yeah, I, th- I think he probably was making his decision as he feels. I, I think he probably is sitting there saying, I-, I feel like I've earned the starting quarterback job. Reasonable people within the state of Nebraska agree that I've earned a, a full-time shot at this gig, and I'm not being given it. Now, you can defend Scott's you can defend his affinity for Adrian if you like, but I think that that's the only explanation as to why we lost one of the best raw athletes on the team. Yeah. I could see that, but I mean, one touchdown and six interceptions, like you're telling me that Henrik Harburg can't at least match that, you know? (laughs) Like so, but for me, it was never about performance with McCaffrey. It was about upside. Yeah, and when the devil you know sucks, sometimes the devil you don't know, who, like, okay, not a great quarterback, but a fantastic athlete. And you yeah. ask yourself, does he maybe have better quarterbacking habits? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Also, think about the kind of situations he was getting put in. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, they're, they're trying to ask him to be a pocket passer sometimes, and that's just not his game. And, you right. know, the, the offense isn't really set up to be, like, constant RPOs, you know? Like, right. we have some of them in the playbook, but most of the time when, when there is a pass, there's a pass. Yeah. This is just not a quarterback-friendly offense. Like, it's just not user-friendly. It requires a lot of composure. Like, that's that's one thing I'll say. Scott Frost knows how to build a complicated offense, right? And I think part of the struggle with Adrian has been that he's been pushing him to work in more complicated systems than he'd like to, faster than he'd like to do. You know, or that than maybe Adrian is capable of doing. I don't I I, I don't know if he's gung-ho about these decisions but you'll remember that when adrian in adrian's first year he was basically told we're giving you one pass option if that's not open run right and that was his best season exactly this kid can't read defenses to save his life athletically you can make the argument to me that athletically he's heisman caliber right that is not the struggle here. The struggle here is getting him to understand the offense and run it capably. And I don't, 
I don't know if there's enough mesh there to make that happen. I could be wrong. And I think we always have to come back to Adrian with an open mind because these are things that are theoretically fixable, right? And so when we take a season, uh, or when, when we take a, an off season, I mean, it's, it's time to ask ourselves if, if, if he can be let out of the doghouse every time, you know? But I'm running out of patience. I'm not going to lie. And I think most of the fan base is, right? Yeah. I mean, Smothers and Harburg are going to be a campaign for as soon as Adrian has his first mess up. And I, I think this sort of goes into a larger point about the offense where it's kind of why kind of goes back into Juan Dale leaving in Juan Dale's uh, letter that he posted announcing his decision to go to transfer portal. Uh, and he said that he loved the amount of touches he was getting at Nebraska. So that was playing time was never a problem, but the touches just weren't what he wanted to build his sort of NFL draft profile, which reading between the lines to me said, I want a team that throws the ball forward and not sideways. Yeah. <laughs> Wandale God and everybody wants a team that throws the ball forward and not sideways. And I, the bubble screen has been a plague upon our house for, for, for nigh on a generation now. And I get why it's enticing, right? It does throw off defenses. Ideally when they work, it throws off defenses for a whole drive, right? It, it makes them overcover an area of the field that you'd like them to overcover so that you can get the home run on the next play. But I think so many people have tried the bubble screen and teams know that it's a play that Nebraska likes to go to, that at a certain point you can prepare for that, you can adapt, and, and you can move forward effectively against that offense, you know? Yeah. I mean, not to mention that we still can't really get on the same page as to throwing the ball to where the receiver is going to be on the play. So on a passing play with literally one route, it, there's still communication is issues, which has been very frustrating. But this Wandale leaving, sort of the first thought of Husker fans was, okay, who's going to fill that void? And a lot of people thought, hey, maybe... Luke McCaffrey, you saw him in the Ohio State game be used as a running back, wide receiver, quarterback, you know, a jack-of-all-trades type player. And that was probably his best game of the year because he had was part of the best half of Husker football of the year up until the Rutgers game. But, yeah, so Luke McCaffrey could fill the Wandale role of, you know, be the fast guy on the edge who gets in the space but he left too. There's people thinking maybe this new freshman Thomas Fedone could be in that position. But what I'm seeing more and more of is this sort of galaxy brain attitude that <laughs> Wandale leaving is going to end up being good for the offense because without that immediate bubble screen threat, we're going to have to look for other plays. I don't think that's the case. I think we just have less effective people trying to run bubble screens. I really do. I think like this coaching staff has had a really long time to figure out that this doesn't work. 
and it doesn't work. Now, I'm not a great sports mind. We do this podcast because it's fun. I, even more than Justin, am not an expert, right? And at the end of the day, even the best reporter is still coming from the outside in on something, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but for the love of God, purely from a fan's perspective, we have been saying to one another, I don't get this whole bubble screen thing for as long as people have been trying it here. And Riley tried these things too. It doesn't add up to me. If you're trying something again and again, and you're not getting results. And that's why I always come back to this is like, there must be a reason. There must be a reason coaches are obsessed with running this play. It'd be cool if they'd explain it. You know what I mean? Because I, I just don't get it. I'm going to be totally frank. I do not understand. Like, and through every iteration of the offense, that's sort of been the play. Like the phase one of the guys Frost was going to turn it around with of Adrian uh, Spielman and Mo Washington, who, again, that's one guy leaving who there's almost no blame to be put on Frost for that. He kind of did it to himself. But right. in that phase, phase one of the Frost rebuild, that was a main component of the offense. Still, mm-hmm. phase two with Wandell Robinson, we had a guy who was a bigger, big play threat on those plays. So we sort of ran him more even when he was out there because that's all the offense sort of knew. And now, without Wandale, there's no proven screenplay threat on the offense. And with the way Scott Frost has been recruiting these receivers, two, we have two receivers in the program now. One is get ready for the hype train part two of Omar Manning because he has somehow not left the program yet. The mysterious enigma he is still the top junior college recruit of 2020 yet to really see any meaningful playing time. But again, this like, like six foot five, 220 pound receiver. That's not a bubble screen guy. The transfer we just got from Montana who broke the record of most receiving yards in an FCS playoff game that was previously held by Randy Moss, who across college and pro football, a top three receiver of all time, at least. Right. And his game's not really bubble screens. It's more of a deep threat type type deal. Right. So this could be the kick I in guess, the pants. What? This could be the like kick in the pants to change up the tactics. Yes. This basically like solidifies the, this is probably like the make or break year of is anything that Scott Frost does going to work here? Because yeah. if he doesn't, change up from what's basically known to not work with this new personnel of players who don't really play that way and it still doesn't work or if he switches something up and they're still not very good at it then I think we'll pretty much have the answer right there of yeah I mean and let's talk about like if we zoom out a little further it it pains me to say it but our program's a guy laughing stock right now it is nebraska is the butt of 
every Twitter joke about college football right now. That's not directed towards Tennessee. Exactly. Which is, an, which is a program in a very similar situation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you've got to think the university can't allow this football team to be an active like detractor to the university, especially when previously it was one of its greatest assets for a long time. And for better or worse, the thing that changes here is going to be coaching changes, right? Yes, which Nebraska is making none of in this offseason. Yeah, I can't believe that there's not even a coordinator getting fired or something. Hell, fire the physio, but give somebody's head up on a platter to admit you've done wrong. I think maybe like a special teams analyst is not going to be picked up again. In favor of a, because like there's only so many people you can like officially have on the staff. So they're eliminating like assistant special teams analyst. I could be way off about this, but I think this is what I heard one time. And just today they officially added like a player development processor coordinator. So, which is the kind of hire you make when a bunch of players leave you your team because they say they're not being developed. Yeah. Right. This is this is a big stop transferring plea. Now, I do want to make a point and I'm going to pull up this Twitter thread. And as you as you listen to this podcast, I suggest you do the same because this is pretty solid journalism being done by a Pulitzer Prize winner who's just like we are lucky enough to have in our J school. But Professor Matt Waite. Um, tweeted about his sports data class. Did you see this, Justin? Yes, I did. Yeah, I was going to bring this up because I think, you know, this is, this is important context. It's not a fix-all, but it's important context. So he uses the first tweet, and again, I, I, I'm, I'm going to give a brief thing here, but I think folks should just go read the tweets. Basically, Wait says there's been a lot of freaking out about football players transferring. He's got a class. He's going to do some data stuff. Um, he uses the 247 like transfer tracker uh, to figure out like what players are transferring and, and average out how many players are leaving a school. Right now here's, here's where it really gets interesting. And again, this is the best view we have. It's somewhere around, uh, two-thirds or three-fourths of transfers, we know who's in the portal. Um, the median, this is, this is quotes from the tweets. The median college football program has seven players transferring out. If you, if you view transfers as bad, wait, says I don't, uh, then, above, and then above that means you have more leaving than the typical team. In, 24, uh, in 247's portal, Nebraska has 11 transfers. Notable teams with more transfers include Rutgers, Notre Dame, Michigan and Kansas State all have 12. Texas, Oklahoma, Maryland, and Auburn all have 13. Michigan State has 14. Um, Poster Children, North Carolina have 18. And the Garbage Fire of Tennessee has 24. (laughs) So 
Um, then he says, and this is really interesting, primary teeth gnashing in Lincoln is about offensive players leaving, specifically wide receivers and a quarterback. Guess what? The top position group transferring in college football, wide receivers at 203 in the portal. Quarterbacks are number three with 121 of them transferring this year. There are 130 teams in the FBS. To be a quarterback and think you're going to transfer somewhere to play right away is to think a huge number of SBS teams are actively looking for someone else to be their quarterback than what they recruited to their roster. These players, um, lots of them are stuck in the portal for a significant amount of time. The most active team picking people up, Jackson State. Um, Now, here's, 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 here's his point here. Quote, what do I think this all means? I think college football fans have to realize that sport now has a free agency period and teams are going to lose players every year. However, the more players who enter the portal and never leave, the fewer transfers you'll see. Does Nebraska have a transfer problem? We've lost a few more than the median, sure. But we've lost fewer than the teams we've compared ourselves to. And we've lost them at positions most likely to enter the portal. Sorry, we're not special. This is just college football now. I think that's valid. And I think that we can draw conclusions about this while also keeping that in mind and say to ourselves, like, listen, this sucks. It's not great. It's also the cost of doing business in the NCAA now. And if that's the way the cookie crumbles, we got to get used to it. Yeah. Because I don't think, I think next year, even if we improve, we'll see a whole slew of transfers. That's the way you play the game to try and get to the NFL. And part of the thing is it's working for a lot of players. How many high-profile transfers? Joe Burrow just won a Heisman. He was a GD transfer, a transfer we should have had at UNL at some point, but I digress. That was the real failure of, of all college or of all Husker football. Not, not recruiting the hell out of Joe Burrow. Oh, God. Yeah. Because as much as I've been given reason after reason to not like that guy, I still like that guy. Uh, Forgive me, father, but I like the kid. I can't believe that you think he's better than what we've got. And what we've got is (laughs) was a quarterback room that has produced uh, guys who have started for Oregon State and Rutgers. And a quarterback at Nebraska who's about comparable to those guys statistically as well so yeah but we kind of could have had someone better than what we've got (laughs) yeah yeah well yeah next year's a break or break year one thing i i do want to move on because this is depressing and i hate it but one thing i want to talk about before we move on is um what does make or break mean does it mean a bowl game Does it mean more than a bowl game at this point? Does the bounce back need to get bigger as we have more seasons that suck? I I don't know. I'm I'm interested. For me personally, it's a bowl game. Even though everybody's all worried about the schedule being hard. And yes, we do have both Oklahoma and Ohio State on the schedule. Those are both almost certain blowouts in their favor. Mm Mm-hmm. But aside from that, have, did you see the Big Ten last year? That that road trip to Michigan doesn't look near as bad as we were dreading it was before that. No. You no. know, there's no way we can tell which of these teams are going to have off years and which of them are going to figure it out. So I, I think even with the two, 
to three certain blowouts on the schedule, there's still no reason we shouldn't have a bowl because a lot of Big Ten teams are likely going to be in the gutter as well. So um, I, I think it, the expectation should be bowl game. But not everybody's with me because this is something I really wanted to bring up as well. In mm-hmm. a very interesting press conference uh, on the 22nd of January, both oh, no. Bill Moose and Scott Frost have said they want Husker football contending for first place in the division. Frost says this year, I definitely think it's time for us to start competing for winning our half. I'm not sure if I felt like I felt like we had a team that was ready to do that in years past, but I do now. That's the sound of a man trying not to get fired. And that's the sound of a man, an athletic director standing next to a coach, realizing that if he goes, I go. And uh, what a rough deal that would be for Moose. Like, even even though, you know, Hoiberg's team's not looking very good and Frost has had... Hoiberg's team is looking as good or better than, like, Miles. They're just at a different stage. Yes. I think Hoiberg's ceiling is higher than Miles, but this is not a a basketball segment. So, honestly, I think, like, if we lose Moose, I'm bummed because I like Hoiberg and I'm glad he brought him here. And here's the thing. I like Hoiberg. Just like personally, I think he seems like a nice guy. And Nebraska basketball is always going to kind of suck. It just always is. I would like us to do a little better. I think Hoiberg's on path to that. And frankly, you know, if we have to be a sucky low tier to mid tier basketball team i would rather do it with with hoiberg than with pretty much anybody else and the fact that doc sadler's back makes me happy because i never wanted to lose him in the first place yeah like i'm i'm willing to ride the hoiberg out until the wheels completely fall off because yeah i do think that he's a good good coach to have but let's say even if both Frost and Hoiberg turned out to be epic fails of hires. They were still the right hire at the time. Like, oh, yeah. there, there was no coach more coveted in the country in that college football hiring period than Scott Frost. Even if he can't cut it at the Power Five level, that was still the right hire at the time. With, mm-hmm. As far as coaches, basketball coaches with Nebraska connections, Fred Hoiberg is about as good as you can do because Dana Altman ain't going to leave Oregon after all that money they're paying him. And nope. Ty Lu is absolutely an NBA caliber coach who should not be at college. So Fred Hoiberg was the best hire Nebraska basketball could have gotten. So just because they didn't pan out, you're, you're still firing an athletic director for doing his job the best he could, you know? Right. <laughs> Which like... He- he could have, I think, separated himself from Frostmore. Mm-hmm. But that was a tactics thing. And, like, that's, I think that's why he has to go if Frost does now. Is you see Moose pretty strictly as Frost's hype man. I think the other thing is part of the reason I wouldn't be super bummed to see Moose go is I think he's said some troubling things about other corners of Husker athletics, particularly like hasn't had the kind of answers on diversity I would like. Um, And like, I think that a lot of students would like, and I think did a poor job defending why this football program needs this practice facility. Like 
just did not which like I think it's it's easy for for media to be like well athletic directors get dropped for flashy things right Mm -hmm. but like the fact that they needed to make Hank Bounds an outgoing Hank Bounds the poster child of this or like like the, the the main like hype man of this facility like those local issues can get you in hot water just as fast. And I think the fact that they had to use Hank Bounds level capital to get donations and to get public support for this, this facility probably was another small, but another black mark against Moose. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not going to be ups- upset for Moose if he gets fired. I mean, it just happens. I just think, you know, it's, it's funny that the, <laughs> The guy who, everything else aside, made the two correct hires uh, is going to go out the door because, impartially, because of that end. Well, there's other things as well, but, you know, just that whole thing, I think, is kind of interesting. And also, the fact that uh, both, you know, Moose and Frost, you know, set the expectation at compete for the division and yet we didn't really get clarifying of what compete means. Does that mean uh, win? Does that mean be within a game? Does that mean have some hard fought losses and still miss a bowl game? But hey, if a couple things bounced the other way, you would have been there. Is that competing? And that's no one, in, I mean, that's being intentionally vague, obviously. Yeah. So, and no <laughs> one's like, what happens if y- you don't compete? You know, not to, I, I think sometimes, you know, in the, criticize press conference questions you know i i do think there's a bit of a some some misguideds there you know you're you're not going to straight up ask moose why he hasn't fired frost yet after every game they're still you know see i have such a different view of i i get why that's not viable right yeah but let's have a little little pour yourself some bourbon listener (laughs) And, and, and smoke a cigar. And let's have a little bit of, of media criticism. From I've got a you who here, if that counts. That'll do. Um, I just think, like, briefly, I, I come from a reporting world where, like, I talk to public officials and politicians a fair amount, right? My job is to make these people sweat. My, my job is not to be nasty, but yes, to be confrontational, to ask the questions they do not want to answer. And you can tell me that sports media is different. And maybe I believe you to a certain extent. I certainly believe you with players, right? No player, especially on the college level, should be getting absolutely grilled about their performances unless, you know, un- un- unless there are extraordinary circumstances, right? Which which I'll leave up as discretionary to reporters as to what's an extraordinary circumstance that you might need to grill a player. But I think that broadly doing that's not a great idea. Wh- who I don't feel bad for are people who are typically the highest paid public officials in their state if it's a state university. And if not, are some of the highest paid individuals at private schools. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're getting paid by an organization more than the people at that organization who are like curing cancer. There is no reason I shouldn't be able to ask you what you had for breakfast every day. If I think that's important. Right. 
at a certain point, like I, I will get on this high horse to people, but like at a certain point, ensuring that the Nebraska football coach is doing his job is is a mark of public accountability because he's a taxpayer funded institution or he's at a, a taxpayer funded institution. And so then and so then people come to me and they say, well, you just can't talk to coaches like that and expect to still have relationships with them. And I say, no, 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 no. I watch soccer. They tear into those guys and they still get access. Right. They're not going to not bring in reporters to press conferences. If everybody gets together and says, let's play some hardball here. That could happen pretty easily. Anyway, high horse done, but that's where I'm at. Yeah. I just think sometimes this, this might just be sort of myself, like what I think when I read those things, but you know, I think there's a more journalistic way of saying, why do you suck so much? Which I think is the question we all want to ask. Right. And and like, we're some people who like be upset if they're not like phrased like that. But I mean, I do think that somebody should have asked what does contending look like and what's going to happen if the team doesn't contend? Like the the fact that something just that vague is allowed to float for an entire off season. It's going to bug me. Yeah. And I, I don't understand, like I said, I don't understand, especially for the like the flagship media organizations in the state. I don't understand the concern around access. Are you going to take the credentials away from reporters at these papers? That's an unpopular move. You it know what? Be I the mean? first time we've made one of those. What's that? It wouldn't be the first time we've made one of those. Justin. In a People like, for by and large, I think, people like the sports reporters in this state. Certainly, polled against other reporters, much higher approval ratings. Um, and so I think, like, end of the day, if you get a question from reporter X at the journal star or reporter why at the world herald that you don't want to hear you can not answer it that's fine and and they can go ahead and say so and so declined to comment that looks marginally bad but you know what looks worse taking away their credential for asking that question that looks terrible that looks like not only are you unwilling to answer a question and unwilling to cooperate in the process of a media conference, which, you know, I'm going to get grumpy about because I'm a reporter. Other people might have different feelings. But I think saying I'm taking my ball and going home, you don't get to come to the cool kids club and ask us questions anymore. Come on. People would not love that, especially because there's no one who can raise a Twitter stink like a disgruntled reporter. True. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. That's my two cents. I think it's 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 time somebody get aggressive about this. Yes. And I understand all the reasons they don't. I'm just saying I and, and this is a sentiment I think I've heard from other fans on the internet and other people I've talked to. It's time to play hardball. All right. And segueing into the other block we had this week. Uh Speaking of media professionals, um, 
about a month ago, uh, my favorite television show Oof. of all time, known, not known for playing hardball, <laughs> yes, has uh, left the air. And okay, when I say television show, I mean like in syndication television show, not like television series, which is a series that uses the medium of a television show to convey its point. But you can watch outside of actual turn on the TV and you know what you're saying is you're exempting gravity falls absolutely thank you because <laughs> i'm on like my fifth rewatch of that now just as good as the other four i tell you what but i just don't get the appeal and and you know what that's what's defendable about gravity falls is it takes some risks i don't get it but i like that i'm a foster's home for imaginary friends guy myself but like good on gravity falls for giving it a go oh gravity falls yeah and, and, and respect for Gravity Falls for knowing when to pull the plug. You know, it's set oh, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to take place over one summer, and it takes place over one summer. How many seasons are there? Two. That's all? Yep. They could have milked that forever if they'd wanted. Well, they kind of did through, like, there's books and there's, you know, well, miniseries. I- so the, the, the cash train's still flowing for the, for the show. That's great. Like, I I like that they're still able to, like, create content. But I'm saying that, like, knowing that your later seasons are going to get boring if you have to bring them back for another summer. Or, like, can you imagine, like, what's what's the main character's name that's not Mabel? Dipper. Yeah, can you imagine, like, Dipper and Mabel go to school? Yeah, like... That would just be either absurd that a school would be that weird or boring. And like yes. the 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 thing that Gravity Falls did is it's kind of a sitcom. Yeah. But it's not the kind of sitcom that you could just pick up and put anywhere. Like the setting matters. Um I think there's a similar thing done with like King of the Hill. Hell yeah. We're like okay, you can put the, now I'm going to go on a rant about how I've gotten into King of the Hill and I think it's great. <laughs> you can put the Simpsons anywhere. And they joke about this in the show, right? They joke about the idea that, like, they never will show you where Springfield is on a map. And so, like, it's every town. But, like... Kind of like the tri-state area, except it's by a beach. Right. It's got to be coastal. But other than that, you don't know. Um, and so, like... The thing I like about King of the Hill is that show happens in Arlen, Texas, which is a made-up town, but is a real-ass place. Like, it's a, it's a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. They go out and say that. And so, like, what's interesting about that is it allows the sitcom to tie itself to a specific community and make a commentary and also to build plot around setting instead of just character. Which I think Gravity Falls really does. is like, so much as, like, the premise is the premise, and, like, the, the, the plot is the premise, in Gravity Falls, the, the, the location is the premise. Yeah. And absolutely, like, yeah, them going to school, you know, I, I, I really can't see how that would work out until I saw the show Hilda. And I thought Hilda was going to be just another Gravity Falls. This is going to turn into this segment's just going to be things we're watching that we think are neat. But 
Hilda's oh, like dude, a mis- I got a gang of those. Everyone should start watch- watching Narcos because I'm two episodes in it. I think it's great. <laughs> but Hilda's like it's a bit more kid friendly than Gravity Falls. It's a, it's a I see. And so like the first two episodes are like this kid finds cool stuff in the woods, but then like her house gets destroyed by a giant and she has to move into town and the series didn't miss a beat. So, you know, I think it could have been oh. done after seeing that. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy it ended where it ended. Unlike Highly Questionable, which did not have the best farewell. Well, the whole, and we've talked a little bit about the whole Dan Levitard with ESPN saga. Yes. But I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up here and let you go on your like farewell tirade to Highly Questionable and then, then I'll grill you about it afterwards. Does that sound good? Yes. Before I got so caught up in nomenclature, uh, I declared Highly Questionable the best TV show ever made and... Using the parameters I have defined, I stand by it. During its heyday of Dan, Poppy, and Bomani, it was darn near appointment television that was on right after I got home from school, 30 minutes. And what made this the best sports show of all time is because every time I watched it, I loved it mostly because there was no way something as dumb as that should have been on ESPN. The worldwide leader in sports should not have had a program that was just that amateur. And it was so perfect every time because you have Dan Levitard, a a longtime Miami journalist who throughout the entire show looks like he'd rather be doing his radio show (laughs) because this was kind of a combo deal to get that radio show to ESPN. He had to do this TV show too. And, and originally, you know, wasn't too wild about the idea, but then ESPN's CEO at the time, John Skipper said, Hey, what if we can put your father on the air too? And he's like, you know what? I'll do it. So we have his dad who is an old Cuban man who knows nothing about sports and is not the best at speaking English. (laughs) I, okay. I will ask like, I'm going to interject here. How bad do we feel about the un-PC-ness of the main comedy of the show being the fact that an immigrant can't speak the language very well? I mean, given Dan going on his soapbox on the radio many times about everything his father sacrificed to get to this country, I think he's he's fine with the joke being what the joke is. Like, Okay. As long as Poppy's down with, like, I am cool that, that people are laughing with me about this. Yes. Then, like, that's... Then, and, then CC, I am very intrigued. Please continue your tirade. And Poppy's not, like, a punching bag. No, Poppy's, like, no. the king of the show. He, yeah, he, he does run. Yes, he's very clearly being fed jokes by producers, but they hit way harder coming out of his mouth than they would almost <laughs> anybody's, Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Just to hear him get no comedic timing right whatsoever is the best because they all because <laughs> it always works. Just because the entire show was like, I I can't believe this is airing on the channel where like actual journalism and live sports are being done. In the middle of the like after school and after work lineup too. Yes. Like lots of people were stumbling home to like what time did this air on 
in Central Time? 3.30. So that's what, 4.30 on the East Coast? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. By, by the time, and this thing survived, started before the streaming age and survived into it, right? Yes, but it started were like, like fifth, sixth grade. Right. People who were like, I might watch a little ESPN on the train ride home if I get off work at four are going to just like not know what the hell hit them when they, when they open ESPN and start streaming this show. It makes no sense with what's around it. Like, because wh- what came before it? Uh, before it was the very cursed three o'clock time slot of ESPN, which used to be Jim Rome. And then it was uh, Michael and Jamel with their oh. show that changed the name like five different times. Yeah. Yeah. And like, we can have, we should have a, Dem- a Jamel Hill discourse. At some yeah. point, but today is not that day. No. And today is a celebration of a great show being a beautiful and weird thing in this world. And then I think it became, I think it was like faceless NFL show number right. 100. But so. like faceless NFL show number 100 rolling into highly questionable. That's a lot. And then it rolled out into like around the horn and PTI, right? Yeah. It rolled right into happy hour. So. God, that's wild. <laughs> and even like, that's the other thing is the weirdest five minutes of the show were the last five minutes. Oh, absolutely. Because the first, I guess, five to 10 minutes, depending on the news cycle of the day, it was a pretty basic sports show premise. You have a question about it, about an event that happened in sports last night. Dan gives his take and then. Dan, it was originally just Dan and Poppy, and that show did not work at all because, mm-hmm. you know, Dan's heard his father's jokes a million times. But getting somebody like Bomani Jones, who's oh. going to hype up the old man, when, especially when he makes fun of Dan. So it's two people laughing at Dan and one's his father. That's <laughs> such a better show. <laughs> Dan Levitard is an objectively, like, easy person to make fun of absolutely oh my god it's no matter what the question the clip the the tv show they were being asked about was it was always always went back to dan being fat dan being lazy dan (laughs) being his favorite son (laughs) like (laughs) every time it was it was perfect and yeah so the first five minutes were dan gives his take bomani gives his take Poppy makes a joke. Next question. And then the segments happen. Do you question? Which is, well, <laughs> they show them three videos. Very rarely one has to do with the modern sports event. This is almost solely groin shots and random animal footage. <laughs> and, and the question is always dumb. And repetitive and stupid. Like, do you question how this happened? And it's some guy getting his balls smashed in with a Louisville slugger. Like, yeah, I question how that happened. Of course. What do you want me to say? No. Uh, I mean, then it would just be Bomani being like, no, I don't question because Redneck's going to Redneck, right? Like, Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Bomani would... (laughs) always make a deal to like acknowledge how stupid the question being asked was whereas Dan was just 
oh god i think once a show he said just let me hear the sound again and then they'd replay whatever (laughs) groin shot happened it's like just listen to that sound god and it was was perfect this is just like the perfect example kids of a cursed thing being great (laughs) yes it was just it just got progressively stupider and it's like oh we're still doing this and then commercial break happens so i i watched like a little highly questionable as a kid right yeah and then you would come to me and you'd talk about highly questionable. I remember freshman year of college, we're like starting this podcast, and you're like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like we're doing highly questionable, which is like one, that's your pantheon of sports journalism, sir. <laughs> Two, they're still making that television show. <laughs> like it's just it's dumbfounding how ESPN allowed this thing to exist for as long as it did. And so, like, that's I think part of the reason that I'm not like outraged and I'm much less like don't cry because it's over. Smile because this little thing happened. Like, yes, you know yes. what I mean? Ugh, yeah, absolutely. Like, this show was never meant to last. Like, when it was just Dan and Poppy, it was legitimately bad television. But yep. just adding that third person made it just something magical that sports TV just will never be able to replicate because... no. You, you can't copy this without being worse because this was something so unique in its way. What's, what's weird is I feel like this this style of comedy fits like one place else. It, it's very reminiscent of like just random crap you see on the internet. Mm-hmm. Or like a good way to describe Highly Questionable, I think, is like a much tamer version to be sure, but effectively the Eric Andre show of of like ESPN content. Yes. Where it's like, wait, what? You did what? And then they started to get guests that were like important human beings. And I think the other thing is in recent years, so Bomani eventually leaves the show, right? Yes. And then they had a rotating panel of co-hosts. Some I like more on the show than others. And those co-hosts are like heavy hitters at ESPN, right? Like, Mina Kimes is one of my favorite analysts at ESPN now. She was on that show all the damn time. Um, Pablo Torres, like, yeah. great analyst at ESPN on there all the damn time. He went to Harvard. Yeah. And now he's doing this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Amin El Hassan used to be have a front office job with the Phoenix Suns. He's on the yep. show. Yep. Just you know, list just like name after name of people who like are way overqualified to be sitting next to <laughs> a guy and his dad on TV. <laughs> but here they are because and this is the beauty of and I, I, I will complain a lot about ESPN's power in the sports media world. But that's really the beauty of it is if ESPN says, we need you to go sit next to some random dude from Miami and his aging Cuban father for an hour on television, you're like, where do I sign? Oh, because everybody loved being on the show. Like, it was like... Right. (laughs) I I think it was funny to watch people be surprised at how much fun they were having on that show. Yes, absolutely. Like, there's a video of 
whenever they would get a new guest on the show, every time at the end of the show, Poppy, the old guy, Pappy is what they called him, would go to the guest and go, great show today. And he sticks out his hand for a handshake and pulls it away when they reach in. And there's literally a 20 minute compilation on YouTube of him doing that exact same thing. And it's just some of the most contagious laughter you'll find anywhere because the show leaned into it later. They added a confetti popper when he would take someone out. And then by the show's end, they had, <laughs> they put, they rolled down from the ceiling, five rubber chickens on a string to dance in front of the camera after the handshake fake. Jesus <laughs> Christ. God almighty. <laughs> So, okay, I am trying to kind of wrap things up here because we could talk about Highly Questionable all day. We could. Um, talk us through the end and kind of the death throes of, of Dan Lebatard at ESPN in this show. Yeah. It all started when, okay, it's, it started a bit before then, but like the, the writing was definitely on the wall when Dan made his most infamous rant about politics Yep. And he, he ripped ESPN for only letting him talk politics through the lens of sports because the issue he was talking about, he thought was so universal, it did not need a shield and it had to be addressed. And so, this issue was? Um, it was the uh, send her back chance at the Trump rally. Right, right. So. Which that, you understand why a kid of immigrants is worked up. Absolutely. But ESPN did not like him, you know, loudly uh, calling them cowards for saying that he can only talk about that through the lens of sports. So and if I if I recall different leadership at ESPN than when he was hired. Yes. Which yeah. probably is how we get here in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so after that, uh, <laughs> he does highly questionable the next day on the airplane to a meeting with the boss, which is hilarious. <laughs> and he tells people this? Yo, yeah, he's literally on an airplane. I don't even know if it's it's probably first class, but he's like, you know, just scrunched into a seat. He's like, people think I'm the craziest person in the world, but I, I here I am surrounded by just strangers giving you sports takes. So <laughs> it was hilarious. And he's... And after that, uh, the ESPN you know, lineup, you know, started to change a bit. They, like the new people in charge wanted it to be more sports and less of politics in sports and politics in general. They wanted to get away with it because they think it's bad for business. Whether it is or isn't is a completely different conversation that we don't have time for on this program that's about, on this podcast that's about to end. But long story short, Dan just didn't fit there anymore. His show was not, his radio show was not sports and his TV show was about as loosely a sports show as ESPN's ever going to allow on the air. So right. eventually Poppy basically retires because mm -hmm. he doesn't want to be on TV because they're going to leave at the start of 2021 anyways. So, you know, why, why not get out while he still can? And then the pandemic hit and the, everybody's doing the show from FaceTime, which loses a lot of the physical gangs what poppy's had some health issues yeah i mean he's like 79 years old so right i just remember a dan lebatard tweet being like the old man's fine yeah but like i think that was probably another like could we have fought 
ESPN on this? Could we have moved the show somewhere else? Maybe. But Poppy's what made that special. And I think to me, that, that was when I knew like, okay, highly questionable is tr- well and truly dead now. Yes. Yeah. As soon as he stopped appearing, I stopped watching and I moved to the radio show instead. But yeah. And they, they've officially, Dan and Poppy have officially left ESPN. The highly questionable show is still going on, but I imagine that's going to end rather soon as there's no chance of even Dan being there now, which right. it's, it's a shell of its former self, basically. And the radio show doesn't have a home yet. So it's just now a podcast and there's there've been some growing pains on how that show adjusts. But Dan and the old boss who hired him are going to try to start their own media company now called Meadowlark Media. So we'll see. No worries. That's exciting. That was my big question is what because Levitard is a great journalist and an interesting sports media mind. And so I'm excited to see what he does next. Justin, really quickly, and I hate to sound like PTI, but give us your 30-second final ode to a show that was probably an outsized inspiration for you to do what you're doing now. (laughs) Yes, like, just thank you, ESPN, for making a sports show for for people with the attention span of myself, for people (laughs) (laughs) who, like, appreciate they appreciate the finer like analysis but like they know that that's not what makes sports fun x and o's can be fun but they are not what makes sports fun what makes sports fun is being around your friends watching them and making jokes about anybody who messes up and just the collective oh my god when something cool happens and more so than any other thing in espn's history highly questionable made you feel like a fan of sports made you feel like you were with friends on TV. And that's something that a sports show just really doesn't normally have the power to do. And that's what it did. Well, uh, I'm going to get slightly sappy here for a second. But uh, if, if, all, if all Highly Questionable ever did was convince a young Justin Slipichka to cover sports media, then it did its job. And I imagine there's a lot of folks out there like you who needed that exact kick in the pants. So, I mean, I was, I was, as much as I appreciate that, like, I really do. I I was aiming for sports media since kindergarten. So I'm, (laughs) this is true. This is true. And we, we have, we have always been the kids who were going to end up in media. I think I thought sports and then I realized actually I like yelling at people too much, uh, not to go cover politics, but, um, but yes, I think it was definitely an inspiration to you, though. Oh, oh, without question, without question. If if yeah. anything I do is anything close to the magic of that, you know, I'll, I'll be good. <laughs> awesome. Well, as always, nice talking to you, buddy. And uh, unless we've got anything else, I think that's pod. Oh, that's a good pod. A great pod.